Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Also, I just need to be careful because I keep grabbing things to, like, play with them. And it's like, no, that's going to make noise. Your microphone is going to pick your dice up. Yeah, it's going to be like when I rub my hands on my on my desk mat while I'm talking. <laughs> and I'm like, I have to stop that. I have to stop that. I'm a little bummed out because like, I haven't had time or money to go get, like, Lord of the Rings cards. And I'm sad. Oh, man. They're really cool. I just want shadow facts. Shadowfax will show you the meaning of I haste. I love it. It's so dumb. Let me try to explain this. Let me try to explain this to John. And is there a, is there a way to make this? <sighs> I know a little bit about Lord so, of the Rings and ma- magic. I have a I have a survey course worth of knowledge in both. I think I can <laughs> go ahead. So, magic printed a full set of Lord of the Rings cards. Shadowfax gets his own card. Well, yeah. And Shadowfax um, has an ability called Haste. Good. Haste, the, the card helpfully explains. There's reminder text on the card. So it says, uh, I think it says, horses you control have haste. and Or something like that. And then in parentheses, it says, a creature with haste can tap or attack the turn it comes into play. Oh, that's good. You don't have to wait. Right. So the thing that's funny about that is that haste is an evergreen keyword. It is in every set. It is one of the basic rules of the game at this point. Everybody kind of knows what haste does. So the fact that there's reminder text on this card, like there doesn't need to be reminder text on this card because no other card really has haste reminder text. But it has to be there in order for shadow facts to show them the meaning of haste. <laughs> it's it's such a good uh, joke. I love it. I I just saw the TikTok of the guy who pulled like the serialized one of one. And there's a TikTok of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So he stayed pretty anonymous um up until like very recently. Now that like a lot of that hype has kind of calmed down. But it's just like the video that he recorded when he pulled it out. Like that's just the TikTok. It's just that. And there's he only has like two other two other videos on his account, but it's him. It's the card is sleeved and his hand is like shaking the whole time. He's like, guys, yeah, I pulled it. And like the top comment is is like, oh, I see why it's a nine point six. So a little bit of background, and then we can actually get into talking about comics. Um, as part of the gimmick for this set. There is a card in Lord of the Rings, uh, the magic version, called the One Ring. But it's just a card. You can pull it in any pack. Um, Wizards of the Coast printed a singular version of the card that has the picture of the ring with the Mordor text on it. And it's foiled and it's stamped one of one. So it's a limited edition. There's only one copy of this card. And people are mad about it. Because it's corporate greed, it's it's incentivizing people to buy overpriced booster packs. Because you can't get this card. There was no chance to get this card in a regular booster pack. You had to buy 
one of their overpriced collector boosters. And I will be frank, collector boosters are a ripoff. Don't buy collector boosters <laughs> if you play Magic. Um, but, or, or, you know, do buy them because collector boosters keep the cost of singles down for the rest of us who don't like to buy packs. Should have really told me that when I was buying Kamigawa because I bought a lot of collector boosters. <laughs> oh, gosh. I Here's the thing. I bought two boxes of Lord of the Rings sealed product. And I just had so much fun opening the cards and being like, oh my gosh, this Tom Bombadil looks so cool. Oh, sweet. I got an extra Sauron, all this fun stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah, one copy of this one ring variant that before the set even came out, there was a bounty on it by like, I think Post Malone offered to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars i think it has gone down as being like the most valuable magic card i'm pretty sure he offered a million yeah well a lot of people made a lot of offers and i don't know what actually happened i knew that the the card had gotten cracked i wasn't super interested in trying for it i just like all the pretty artwork and so i wanted to get copies of all the cards but Okay, so I think okay, so if uh, looks like he offered two million for it, and he did get it, I would I would have sold it to Post Malone for two million. I wouldn't have even had to fly anywhere. He's from West Valley. He's just like come home, visit your mom <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. Or I did like the idea. There was one guy who was like, um, saying that if he opened it, he wouldn't sell it to anyone, but he would crowdfund a like a short film or something of him going to Iceland and throwing it in the ball. <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh. Doing the, yeah, doing the, the whole Mordor thing. I, I yes. think I think the next most expensive offer was somebody in Spain who offered a million dollars for it, flight and board to Spain, and free paella. Ooh. Oh gosh. The paella might have put it that takes That takes a lot of effort. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, see, I thought you turned it back in to Wizards of the Coast to get a tour of the factory and potentially, you know, you get to take over and then you get to run Magic the Gathering. Is that not how the one or, ring works? Or you fall in like one of the presses and then somebody opens a booster pack and there's like a little flattened you. <laughs> I I feel that like if I had pulled it, I, I mean, obviously would have gotten it graded, right? And get it sealed and whatever. But I think I would have not sold it for maybe a year and just let that kind of mystery like build up the whole time just laughing maniacally as I have it on a little altar in my room and just be like, <laughs> Like, as much as I would admire committing to the bit, two million dollars. Two million dollars. I could, listen, in a year, that could go up to three. Or the hype would die down and they'd be like, wasn't it silly how we were going to pay $2 million for I, a card? I don't know. Black Lotus still sells for like several grand. Jeez. Post Malone bought one of those yeah. too. <laughs> Guys, I went, to post, I went to Post Malone's Raising Canes. and I hate it. It's good. It's delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. He has a restaurant. Yeah. Does he just did he is just get a franchise? Is what is Raisin it? Cane's is like a chicken restaurant. It's, it's yeah. fast food. I think he has a franchise of like just one. It's like a location that's down like in Fort Union, and it's painted pink. And he oh, that's very funny. And he has like his own like uh, combo like meal combo thing available for it too. So you can go get the like the box plus it's like the posty way. Do they tattoo the chicken or what's the deal? Like, 
Uh, no, but you can get a special cup. That's, uh, I think, available only at those locations. At that location. Wow. Um, I don't know how to segue from, from chicken to the evolutionary <laughs> war, but I think we're just going to have to die. Well, I think the real secret is that we have evolved chicken to be surprisingly delicious. So juicy. So We've tasty. engineered chicken. I mean, this is not even a joke. We've engineered chicken to be delicious and juicy. Well, speaking of juicy chickens... <laughs> Evolutionary War. Hi, this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We don't just talk about Post Malone. We also read comics. And boy, did we read a lot of comics for this episode. My name is Steven, and John and Aldo are with me tonight. I hope you two are doing well. We have not spoken in a while. Yeah, I uh, I think I might have been the one who said, oh, we could try this event. I can't remember if I suggested it or someone else found it, but I'm feeling guilty. So, <laughs> I can definitely say we've read worse things, um, but I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Evolutionary War was a 1987 event, took place in over the course of all of the annuals of, I don't think it's all the books, it might have been all of the annuals, like these. Are, this is all of the annual issues that Marvel published, and... The premise of the evolutionary war is the high evolutionary is up to something. And different heroes across the Marvel Universe keep kind of randomly stumbling across his plans. Nobody is being like, oh, the high evolutionary is up to something nasty. Let's let's stop him in his tracks. Let's put an end to this. They all just like run across one of his his ethnic cleansers and they're like, huh, that was weird. So anyway, let me go back to fighting the kingpin. <laughs> and yeah, there isn't really much of a through line, which is interesting because I feel like a lot of comics of this era, like a lot of events of this era did this where the the main storyline was just kind of almost alluded to as other characters got involved. Like, I know that's how the second Secret Wars kind of played out. A lot of X-Men events kind of did this. So, I think it's an interesting storytelling conceit, but it results in something that feels very disjointed and doesn't really feel like one cohesive narrative, which is a problem for a uh, comics ranking podcast with the conceit that we evaluate individual narratives kind of based on their strength of, like, evoking emotion and telling a good story. Regardless, we see a lot of interesting sides to things. You know, we have the High Evolutionary get in a fight with Apocalypse, the, the famous mutant eugenicist, who uh, they kind of debate the different strengths and weaknesses of their worldviews. The High Evolutionary set six the Eternals on the Silver Surfer to study his anatomy. Um, Speedball shows up for the first time, as does mob boss supervillain The Slug. Ugh. There's not really a lot of consistency across these stories until we get to maybe the final three stories, I would say. The uh, Avengers, there's a West Coast Avengers issue and then an Avengers issue where they kind of have a little bit of cross-communication between them and that's where the the sort of like concerted effort to get the group together to beat the high evolutionary down really comes 
two ahead, but I mean, that's all wrapped up in kind of one issue. The more consistent story is weirdly the backup. All of these annuals had a backup story that tells the origin of the High Evolutionary. How he went from this kind of brilliant, but I, I don't know, almost gate-kept young man in early 1900s trying to experiment on biological matter to try to kickstart evolution without waiting for the long process of evolution to take place and it kind of charts his course from simple city boy in a primitive time i say primitive of like you know 100 years ago or whatever to all of a sudden he is a god like he he evolves past a point and incidentally we get to see the birth of quicksilver and the scarlet witch in there it's all very weird um but yeah High Evolutionary, one of the main characters in a recent summer blockbuster, and we've read him now a couple of times in the comics, and this is, I think, one of his main stories, at least one of his early main stories. I think we can talk about some of the individual issues in more detail as we go through. Some of them were definitely better than others, and, uh, and you know, some of them also had the slug. What did you all think? <laughs> uh, yeah, very uneven. Um, I liked parts of it more than I thought that I would. Um, I thought his design, like High Evolutionary's design is cool. I don't know. The High Evolutionary, let me go back. See, I was trying to look up and see who um, created him because it, it looked, yeah, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. I was going to guess it was Jack Kirby because he kind of had that look, but I didn't want to assume that it wasn't someone who, you know, was just kind of going after that style, but I thought, you know... It is reasonable to assume that anybody in purple body armor was created <laughs> by Jack Kirby. Fair. I think that is a decent assumption to make. That's fair. That's fair. Well, anyway, I I, li I liked parts of it. You know, parts of it just kind of like, it was like, all right, so we, we're caring about Gwen Stacy ghost clone now? Okay, that's a thing? Great, all right. You know, there's some weirdness in there. For some reason, his... Um, purifiers or gatherers or whichever you know armored commando group at the time or uh, whatever name they were using just they were able to pretty much beat everybody for a long time until finally someone like just you know beat up beat them up enough to like break through the armor i don't know it seemed like it was like what it, like, i don't know it, it seemed like like surely like some of these teams could have like sent a message out like hey if you run into any of these guys uh here's their you know like the avengers sharepoint or, or, or uh, slack or something like here's their here's their weakness <laughs> you know um i i like that the idea that they, like it was all just in the annuals it was kind of like you know a hidden story it was the first time they'd done that apparently um but yeah kind of you know hit and miss quality wise yeah, I kind of agree with you on actually I think most of your points really. I really liked there's some stuff in there I really liked. I don't know that I liked the whole issue, but um Hercules getting powered up was really cool up until he turned into a cloud. Um so there's like a lot of really good moments, but yeah, there's not really a through line. It does feel like a bunch of skirmishes and like random skirmishes at that. Like there's just no real cohesiveness to it, but I think it would work well if you weren't really into the event and you were picking up your annuals anyways. You get you still get like a semi-interesting story. And 
don't know. I do wish there had been more of a through line, but yeah, it does feel like kind of random a little bit over the place. I don't, I still don't think it felt as jumpy as like some of the early, early like X-Men events. Mostly because we weren't following like one set of characters going to like 17 different places. Every time we went to a different place, it was kind of like a pretty set group of people at that place. So it felt like we were switching scenes rather than like switching locations. I don't know if that explains what I'm trying to say, but that's how I feel. I um, am still kind of um, <laughs> like, is it Sherry? Like, who is the the lady thing? I um, that threw me. Isn't her name Sharon Ventura? I think that's right. That was that was weird. Um, <laughs> and I thought that. Uh, it was Johnny married to Alicia Masters? I thought that's who married the thing eventually, or in the end. I don't know. That was weird. Oh, that's a whole thing. I had the trading card. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I was like, surely there's been there was some information because like I know I don't I had to look up what Crystal's powers were because I was like, oh yeah, she's an Inhuman, but I know nothing about her. Turns out she's the only one who have like has like powers that I like care about. It's like oh, elemental powers. Powers. That's pretty cool. But they referred to Lockjaw as a pet as a dog and i i think lockshaw is a dude he just is uh, you know a dog now so that's a shame but you know wait are you saying lockjaw used to not be a dog yeah lockjaw like before the terrigen mists man he uh he was a dude as i understand it i could be wrong i don't i don't like this knowledge dude looks like a lockjaw's got it it's like remember we all used to hang out well you're a dog now see ya you know (laughs) i have to look this up (laughs) good thing he has a useful power and i think i mean i'm guessing he had some like wicked mustache because of like how his jowls kind of sit on his face but yeah i couldn't believe it either i hope it's apocryphal but um i think he used to be a dude and then the terrigen mists because you know sometimes it mutates them pretty bad or changes them. I don't think you're allowed to say mutates them if they're an inhuman. But I think it, you know, some of them come out, you know, the same with powers. Some of them come out, you know, dog people. No, he was a dog. His, his mom was a dog. Well, this begs the question then, Aldo. Who was his father? <laughs> Apparently his mom Yuck. was injected with her own, like, cloned genetic DNA. And then she gave birth to five puppies. Oh, no. With the purpose of performing terigenesis in the womb. I feel like that's worse. Uh, Lockjaw was the only one who successfully mutated. His other, his siblings did not. So I gotta tell you, reading that Fantastic Four issue, the Inhumans are awful. Yeah. They just are like terrible people in that story. Except, you know, you have this one moment where where, uh, freaking... Black Bolt takes Crystal out to the the like deep parts of the moon where there's no atmosphere, so that he can ask her to stay without like actually blowing her head off because he misses her. He wants her back. It's like uh, that's this great emotional moment. You're a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. I just I don't get the Inhumans. Um, I, I want to like okay, it's an interesting mix of powers and stuff and. Okay, like they've been around for a long, long time, so there's a lot of history and there's, you know, court intrigue kind of stuff you could get into. It never works. I always like fool myself into thinking, no, this inhuman story, it'll all click for me and I'll give a crap, and it never happens. I mean, to be yeah. fair, that's also the same problem that like they've just had 
all the time because I don't think even Marvel yeah. cares about them. And when they try to care about them, it just didn't work out. You know, they were like, okay, quick, 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 pivot, 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 X Men, X Men, all mutants, all the time, yeah. pivot. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think you that get why that happens though, reading this event, yeah, because like the X Men books were the good ones. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also like I wonder. It's also like, what are the Inhumans if not just Kroger brand X Men? A hundred percent. That is exactly what they are. <laughs> um, I do have a way to. I have a solve though. The only problem is it doesn't work in comic form, and we know that like a, a you know TV version of the Inhumans didn't work because it was crap apparently. But if they ever took a swing again, the way to get me on board is uh, give Black Bolt a crazy voice, and that's you know you never hear it, but when you do, it's like hey, hello, <laughs> I'm Black Bolt, <laughs> and that's why it's like ah. Ah, my ears i'm dying ah the whole neighborhood's crashing around me <laughs> sorry i won't talk anymore <laughs> i'm black and both again black and both again i forgot he had the stupidest name in marvel comics like it's it's worse than dum dum dugan oh my gosh well dum dum dugan's actually a great name but Shut is up. it so bad it circles back around because i think it does i think like only only when you say it oh, only when you say it all though if anyone else tried to sell me on it, i'd be like get out of here like a car bolt again such a dumb name but i love it it's so like fun. it's like a name it's like a name someone makes up for you when they don't know your full name you're like yeah his name is black paul okay mr black Boltigan. It's like, maybe like if my that's if, not my name. Maybe like if my superhero name was just Algo. Yeah, it is now. Algo, <laughs> Aldus Doughboy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Evolutionary War, the the. Inhumans show up, and they are kind of awful. The Eternals show up, they are also kind of awful. Silver Surfer is great, but the the story arc where, like, when Silver Surfer gets involved, it kind of doesn't matter. But the Surfer himself is like, oh, he's being compassionate, he's being, you know, kind, he's being charitable. It's like everything you want the Surfer to do. And... It doesn't matter. You could leave out the Silver Surfer portion of the story and the full arc of the Evolutionary War would not change. The uh, young gods show up and they're also dumb. Oh my gosh, yes! (laughs) What the heck? It's like we wanted to to crowbar in some more characters. Uh, Here's this 12-person team with crazy powers that we're just going to hide in the back of a... Uh, you know, Peter Parker chases around Gwen Stacy clone. You know, that's so, it was so weird. It was like, do am I meant to care about these guys? Uh, the, this was this was like the Kroger brand Eternals. It's like I I barely care about the Eternals, and then there's these young gods where it's like we're having a we're having a scrimmage, and then they come where there are clearly bad guys, and they're like, nope, let's keep fighting each other. It was dumb. It is wild to me that those characters have never come back. Mm-hmm. It's it's I looked them up on Wikipedia afterwards because I've like I have never heard of these. They did not have a trading cards in <laughs> And there's like nothing on these characters. They just they just disappeared. And it's like you've got the suite of like 
multinational heroes from different time periods with these crazy powers and you just never use them but speedball is still around yeah well he you know penance Ooh, he's dark i was gonna say has he, edgy. Has he stayed as <laughs> penance is he going back i don't think so no, I, I do think he went back to speedball. Yeah, yeah, because they realized like, hey, this is this is grim, you know. It, it I mean, it was quite grim. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think we're we we need to talk about the amazing character find of the the whole evolutionary war saga. Best new character of 1987, Ulysses Lugman, also known as the Slug. I I almost retched. Um, yeah. <laughs> Why? 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 Bleh. He's the Miami version of the Kingpin. And you know how the Kingpin is fat, but it's really just like muscle? <laughs> what if it was just fat and also gross? Ugh. The like, slug is not long for this world. His weakness, incidentally, is salt as you would imagine but it you know it's more of a blood pressure thing but (laughs) yeah he's not a literal slug he is just a fat guy and the first thing he says is kingpin i can asphyxiate a man in the folds of my flesh and have for less than that and then later on the book we see him doing that in a way that like it's look at it it's like, the worst what? Chekhov's gun ever, is what it is. Yeah, but it's not even <laughs> so, Chekhov's gun because it doesn't really matter to the plot. <laughs> doesn't it though? Doesn't it become really. central? Doesn't it become central, or at least you know, lead evidence in in war crimes? Like, oh, this comic made me see this. And I'm just sitting here like, how did this guy actually get there? Like, they've illustrated him in such a way. It's like you cannot have reached this guy to shove him into your belly like he is portrayed as as doing here. So how did he get... I'm, uh, Lackeys. I have so many questions, and they're all yeah, terrible. Yeah, because he has, like, those little, little, like, almost baby arms on his frame. There's that one... Yeah, there's a guy that has to hold the phone for him. So, like, how? The, the logistics of this don't match up, and I don't really want them to. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to know... The, like the ins and outs of his ins and outs, so I wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, it's just, and he doesn't, he comes back. He had a trading card. I had his trading card. <laughs> I wish I could give it back. Boy. Um, it, it is funny, though, because it's like, when you're reading this story, you know, issue by issue, it, it at first seems like some of these points are just not going to matter. Like, the first part of the story is the fight between the high evolutionary and apocalypse during uh x factor and you can kind of see the merit of it because it's really exploring the high evolutionary's uh, philosophy which is going to inform his actions over the course of the rest of the series and then the next issue is the punisher taking down uh drug lords in central america and the high evolutionary is also trying to take down the drug lords because their drugs make people weaker and it's funny because of the two books the x-factor book and the punisher book the one that actually winds up mattering more to the plot is the punisher book because that's the one that keeps getting referenced again 
Kingpin brings up the the activities in uh you know central South America that's that's cutting into his his drug supply and like it gets referenced multiple times and the big fight between with apocalypse that's supposed to like inform the character's philosophy like doesn't matter and also doesn't make sense like I do not think I could articulate to you at this point what the difference is between the high evolutionary's take and apocalypse's take really i i'm glad that you had trouble with it because so did i i was looking at it, i was like okay i think apocalypse's whole thing is only the strong survive so he'll let bad things happen and then praise the victor and the high evolutionary is trying to put together the the best like the perfect you know human being and so he'll tinker with things and not kind of let natural evolution take place. It's weird. It's weird because it's yeah. like, aren't you guys kind of going for the same thing? And like, what does the high evolutionary think about mutants? He never said that, you know. He didn't, he didn't say like, oh, since humanity is kind of evolving, I will just only start tinkering with mutants now. That could have created some conflict and the apocalypse could have been like, no, 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 no. But, I, yeah, I couldn't make any sense of it, and I really tried. And then after that, I was like, well, there's a billion more of these issues. I just got to get through them. So that's as, <laughs> as much in-depth reading as I did uh, in, on this one like, and thought about what was going on besides like, oh, they're going off somewhere now to fight guys. What was the best issue of Evolutionary War? I mean... I think for once in my life, I'm not going to default to the Spider-Man book. Yeah. yeah, there are actually three yes. Spider-Man books. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of them are the best. Correct. One. It might be X-Men. That would be my default, but I'm thinking about it and eh, like I didn't I didn't really I don't know. I felt like every team was just a little dumb in how they like went about their fight, you know. It wasn't like maybe it's because in I'm used to events having, you know, a six-issue event comic where it's you know these are the tie-in issues they happen to all be annuals but where we get something that is just like you know the key players and the high evolutionary we get a bit of that in the backs the back issue um story that's going on in all of these where we we focus on the high evolutionary but i don't know i, I think i'm looking for something that's not there and maybe not supposed to be there but i expect it to be there from all my previous reading of event comics where you know, there is a, a main through line that happens outside of the issues, but it's all crammed in there. So every team that goes after the high evolutionary looks like, you know, idiots. I, I, I guess I would pick Silver Surfer. Uh, you know, I, I mean... Yeah, that's pretty cool. I found it. Him and, him and Super Scroll teaming up, you know, seemed interesting. Because you wouldn't think... You're like, okay, Super Scroll's a bad guy. And, mm-hmm. you know... Silver Surfer is like you know altruistic and everything and all yeah that that was interesting to me and cool to see I don't know yeah that was interesting. not well, th- not speedball and then you get like that reveal on the scroll right that the scrolls can't yeah. transform so then you a little sympathetic for him yeah he's lost you know his his empire so it's <gasps> I think for me I don't know that the whole issue is good I mentioned that already at the beginning of the of our conversation but. I like that the way that they defeat the high evolutionary is by trans by evolving Hercules and then like they get into a fight which it's neat until it's not because 
there's no real like winner, right? Because they just turn into gas, and then it's like, okay, well, I guess he's gone now. Yay! Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That moment had the potential to be as good as as you know the wrap up to the Kang saga with Kaiju Captain America mm-hmm. and the sword ship and all of that. It doesn't get there though, but it kind of starts trending in that. Yeah, direction. and like that's what I was thinking was going to happen, and it didn't. Yeah. And, it was a bummer. And then I guess they come back. I mean, obviously Hercules comes back later, and I think High Evolutionary comes back later. But like that plot thread gets picked up in the future at some point. Like what happened to them? How do they kind of turn back? Blah blah blah, all that stuff. But like for now, it's just like okay, well, I guess we're breathing Hercules now. We're breathing the High Evolutionary. We're just. Isn't there a little bit of Hercules in all of us? (laughs) You might say that we ate Hercules and are digesting him in our stomachs. (laughs) Wait, strike that. Isn't the real Hercules the friends we made along the way? (laughs) (laughs) For me, I think the, the standout issue was actually the New Mutants one. That's the one that I was reading and I was like, I am actively enjoying this story. Um, there were aspects of it that I didn't love. Like I, I think Jay and Miles explained the X Men talk about how the new mutants of this era have their superhero costumes that they designed that are just terrible. I've yeah. never seen them before because new mutants are a big blind spot for me. Holy crap, they are really bad. Yeah, but I I thought the art was charming. The the a little bit you know rough of its time, but I liked it and. It had some of the most solid writing. And that was the thing. is like, of the books, the the New Mutants and the X-Men book in particular. X-Factor, I could kind of take or leave. But New Mutants and X-Men had just, far and away, the best writing, the best art. And it was just wild to me to see, you know, this is kind of a weird sort of cross-section of, you know, much of what Marvel is doing, not everything, but quite a bit of what Marvel is doing at this time, and it's very clear that the X Men stuff is the best. At least, at least it was to me. That was my takeaway. It is, you know, peak peak uh, Claremont. I think. I oh yeah did have an. I just realized we get Beast in X Factor, and he's still in human form, and then we get Avenger Beast in his my my preferred, you know, furry blue creature form not not a feline not um you know uh, a dude with big feet we get you know 92 x-men style beast what the heck happened is that the same beast is it a different timeline kind of thing because it's an annual right and so presumably it like came out around the same time so like what happened from point a to point like why that i they like briefly talked about it i think in the adventures comic but I did not, I was like, I just realized that sitting here, I was like, oh, we get, like, two beasts between this. Do you guys know? Well, so it has something to do with, X-Factor kind of mentions this plot point where the beast is, like, getting stronger, but he's also slowly losing his intellect. Yeah. It has something to do with that. Like, I think the Beast had been blue and furry before this, and then he got changed back to human, and then he had this this condition that was making him dumber and more bestial. And then in correcting that, he wound up going back to blue and furry. I think. That's just me going from memory, and I don't know that we want to take the time to dive into the wiki right now. No, that's too deep. 
because he was blue in Phoenix uh, in the Phoenix Saga, right? And he was like on the Avengers team then too. Oh, interesting question. Is the Phoenix Saga before or after this? I'm pretty sure it's before. I'm pretty sure it was I like thought so. 84. It's 1980. Oh yeah, no, it is because Jean Grey dies and is resurrected before X-Factor happens. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that was 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. But this is actually bringing up an interesting point. I'm looking at the publication dates for these annuals. Um, they're mostly December of 87. The final issue has a publication date of January of 88. But then you've got this chunk of issues the, the Web of Spider-Man, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and the West Coast Avengers that were published in... Or excuse me, uh, just West Coast Avengers and Spectacular Spider-Man that were published in October of 88. So there were two parts of it that came out months after the conclusion if those publication dates in Marvel Unlimited are accurate. Which they may not be. The The read order that they have is actually inaccurate. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but... Uh, one of the backups, I think it was between New Mutants and Amazing Spider-Man, the the backups, like Marvel Unlimited says, read New Mutants and then read Amazing Spider-Man, but it should actually be flipped because the backups are out of order. And it winds up being a pretty significant shift because you wind up, if you follow the order in the in the app, you wind up missing the issue where the High Evolutionary actually creates his armor. I just at that point was already kind of like skimming those and lost. So <laughs> I missed the the subtle differences. Yeah, I will be frank; they were not very good, um, and I get the impression that a lot of them were kind of summarizing things that we had potentially already read. Like one of them has four or five panels dedicated to that Adam Warlock story that we read where the high evolutionary accidentally like lets man beast loose on his counter earth. And Adam Warlock agrees to go and, and Jesus up the place. Yeah. Quite literally as one of the panels shows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Boy, I want to read that at some point, but I got to get caught up with all of this Krakoa era X-Men stuff first. Uh, that is some good stuff. Yeah. Interesting. I thought we would have more consensus on which the best issue was. I'm surprised that we had such a spread. Yeah. To be fair, I, I didn't really think it was the best issue. It just had, for me, the best moment. The best moment. I might agree that that might be the best moment. Although, I don't know, man. That New Mutants issue, I actually like genuinely enjoyed. Yeah. Um, when those two like really deformed mutants are like, we are dying anyway. Um, but there's this other mutant who's going to get killed by this machinery. Let's mess with the machinery with our last breath so that she has a chance to live. Like that moment actually kind of mm-hmm. got me. I do like, um, uh, Danny Moonstar. I'd like, I like that character. So, you know, between that and, uh, Sam, uh, cannonball, not saying I'm not invulnerable when I'm blasting. I don't think it came up at all. <laughs> I was so relieved. I was like, Oh, thank goodness. You didn't have to say it this time. We get it. So that, yeah, yeah, that, that does put it, you know, above the rest, I think in, in that regard, at least in terms of annoyability, which I don't think we should, we should include. <laughs> also, at least for me, uh, I, I didn't really, 
I mean, I did piece it together eventually on my own, like, by a couple pages in, but I was, uh, the X-Factor book, that's the original X-Men team. Correct. Yeah. And I was like, oh, neat, that's cool, but why are they not the main X-Men book? Anyways, I don't know. X-Men history is weird. X-Men history is very yeah. weird, and this is one of the weirder periods, I think. Mm-hmm. Magneto's in charge, not letting the New Mutants use their powers, they're just training grumpy old cuss in the X-Men book, have actually been presumed dead, and they've had a spell cast on them so that they cannot be detected by any technology. Huh. And Longshot is dating Dazzler. That, oh. I hate that that kind of makes sense. It does, though. It does. Like, I actually ship it. Although it is kind of like, boy, they, they really sneak in some sexiness. This, this X-Men issue... Page three, when Longshot like stands outside in the wind and he's got like hollow bones, so the wind picks him up and blows him away. Longshot's in his underwear. <laughs> All of his clothes are on the floor. Dazzler sticks out her head out the window and she is wearing Longshot's jacket. Yeah, oh, like, Stephen, I assumed that you knew how this worked. You have two children. Let me just say, now, when, a, when one mutant loves another mutant very, very much... And cons- and consent is exchanged. Uh, sorry, go ahead. And they and they Wait, both yeah, need to share the same hair care products. That's that's key. <laughs> that's really what's that's really what drew them together was they both had a perm in the eighties. Okay, speaking of stuff that kind of makes our teeth grind, what is the worst issue of Evolutionary War? I mean, the Wakanda one, like they kind of. You know, play against the bad guy's natural prejudice, but it still feels like it's there. Um, that was the West Coast Avengers annual, which introduces the hu- the the supervillain team, the senses. Oh yeah, the senses. Man, there's a lot of crap in here. Yeah, that was that was odd. Um, oh, the censors. Excuse me. That's yeah, not much better, especially since it's a it's a six man team, and they're all named after one of the six senses. So there is a supervillainess named Smell. I could have used a little bit more, like how did how did uh, Bill Foster sneak in and, and get on the high evolutionary like research team? But Giant Man's back, so that's you know, or uh, Black Goliath. No, Giant Man. I think they call him he Giant was Man Black. Here. He yeah. was Black Goliath, and then eventually he gets buried in the ground in the tarpon chains after. Yes, Robot lest we chest. forget that we hate civil war. Well, I mean, you did bring <laughs> it, it up. To come up. This was on you, John. I literally... <laughs> this is his name. It's like Beetlejuice. I wasn't going to bring... It's like one-third of Beetlejuice because you only have to say Okay, <laughs> okay, don't say it again. That's two. You just did two back-to-back. Jeez. Um, Slug was terrible. Yeah, I think... Ugh. Is the Spectacular Spider-Man annual the worst one? Is that the one with Gwen Stacy? No, you know what? Fantastic Four, because uh, Inhumans are stupid. I'll say, I'll say, worst is uh, Fantastic Four, because um, I hate the look of Spiky Thing, and Lady Thing is just weird to me. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's just weird. Miss Thing. Like we got someone, we got someone. Look who looks like you. <laughs> no. I think for me, just because of the constantness of it all, is the whole Gwen Stacy thing. And then the whole reveal with the jaggle, and then, ugh. Yeah, because, okay, I'm not actually familiar enough with the original story, but the original clone saga was the jackal creating a clone of Gwen Stacy. And the clone of Gwen Stacy kind of ran off and just did her own thing. 
after the events of that mm-hmm. story. But this retcons it so that it was never actually a clone of Gwen Stacy, right? It was just like a brainwashed, surgically altered Gwen Stacy. Like, you're like, ah, close enough, and we're going to, yeah. I wish they would just leave Gwen Stacy alone, like, at this point. Like, unless unless it's... Leave Gwen Stacy alone! <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> like, unless Gross. it's Spider-Gwen, or it's like an alternate timeline Gwen doing her own thing... Stop. Just stop bringing her back. Just let the woman rest. Let Peter Parker rest. Let their non-marriage of Peter Parker and Mary Jane rest. Yeah. Let him move on, too. Like, I was reminded in this issue how much I dislike the idea of, you know, the wedge in Peter Parker and Mary Jane's relationship being his feelings for his dead college sweetheart. I, I hate yeah it. I hate it so no, much. No, there are no heroes in it because you uh, you sympathize with them because of course it was a traumatic event. You feel bad for Mary Jane competing with you know a memory or corpse depending on how mean you want to be about it. But also like hey uh, get over her or Mary Jane get over it. He went through this tra- like there's no like you there's a there's a shutdown argument for every one of those where it's like Peter get over it Mary get over it like I, yeah I don't like it. That might, I don't know. That one might be my least favorite. I'm looking at all of these issues, and even the ones that I dislike, there is something in it that kind of gets me. The Silver Surfer Annual has the Eternals, and I'm just kind of losing interest in the Eternals. But there's all of that great (laughs) stuff where the Surfer continues to sacrifice himself for the Super Scroll, even though Super Scroll keeps double-crossing him, and it actually winds up changing Super Scroll a little bit for the better. There's that stupid issue with the slug. <laughs> but it also introduces this poison character who's kind of interesting. Like, she's kind of interesting. She's like a single mom who gets possessed by this extraterrestrial entity of some kind. It's, it's, that's kind of cool. We support single mothers here. We support single mothers. We support any parents because, holy crap, this job is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we hope that you'll be a parent... Less like, uh, who's some bad parent? Sorry, I had a go-to bad parent example. Well, Black Bolt isn't great at it. (laughs) It's Mr. Bolt again to you. (laughs) (laughs) Please, Mr. Goltenkin was my father. His royal hunt. You have to wait for him to address you, and you're going to be waiting a long time. (laughs) Yeah, that Spectacular Spider-Man annual might be the, the volume with the least... But it has, I don't know, the art's pretty okay. I don't know. It is kind of a race to the bottom for a lot of these is which one is the worst. They're all equally bad. Except for the Punisher. The Punisher one is the worst. (laughs) I'm going to say it's the Punisher one. Because he's like rattling off the names of all of these stupid guns and this stupid like ammo. And I'm just like, I cannot wait to move on to the Silver Surfer book so that I don't have to actually pretend to care about what happened in a Punisher book anymore. And then you wind up having to care about it again. Now, Punisher one is the worst. How do we segue out of that parade of negativity? Oh, I was going to say, I don't, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to go, yeah, but, but my kids are sleeping in the next room, so, you know. You win some, you lose some, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, I think... If that's all we have to say about it, I do not mind just moving on to the ranking. Yeah. yeah. I toyed with the idea of maybe trying to rank this as two stories, because you've got the Evolutionary War, the event, 
and you've got the backup stories that were about the origin of the high evolutionary, which honestly, I think it's sixes. I don't think it's worth breaking them up into two. I don't think so. I think if we're going to put this at the bottom, so, just let it do it by itself. <laughs> but I don't think it goes all the way at the bottom. It definitely goes low. We currently have 250 stories on our list. Um, and this, as an event comic, has some stiff competition. Number three on our list is Secret Wars. Uh, number nine is Infinity Gauntlet. Um I'm going to say, you know, Dawn of X, Prelude, House of X, Powers of X. I would also classify that as an event. That's number 12 on our list. What are our low-ranking event comics? I mean, is Marvel Zombies an event? No. I don't think so. I think Marvel Zombies is kind of its own thing. I think our lowest ranking... Oh, yeah. I mean, do we... So our lowest ranking event comic is Civil War Two at number 226. Okay, I was also going to say, what about <laughs> our lowest ranking, like, crossover, like, inter-series comic event uh, i mean i think that's ultimate wolverine versus hulk no because that was yeah no, that well, was just one series it's its own thing yeah yeah oh excuse me uh eminem punisher that's a cross no i mean like different titles no. <laughs> <laughs> anthem blue cross presents city different. of the blue cross teams up with Marvel. boy although he is just not getting I it just, i i hate what i've summoned frankenstein's monster versus dracula oh, no nope, keep going they both had their own comics <sighs> I I think I don't th- know if we dis if we differentiate Aldo. I'm looking. No, I'm not asking for like Marvel Comics number one. No, was, that's one one big book. It was mostly for like curiosity. I guess I could have looked myself, but I'm too lazy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that requires more thinking than you'd want to do for the high evolutionary story. I feel story, like I so. did enough reading on this that I don't want to read the list. But fair. <laughs> I, I would definitely put this... I liked Submariner versus the Human Race better looking at event comics because that felt like an event. That's that Fantastic Four annual, right? Yeah. It's at 204. Oh, I don't know. That's actually lower than that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm... I'm okay, that, then that's my ceiling. <laughs> um, no. Well, actually, below this, it starts getting really bad. And this wasn't bad, but it wasn't... Good. It's in the wouldn't read again, but I'm not horrified by it. You know what? Forget it. Yeah, Submariner. If that's my ceiling, I see that Longshot is above Submariner for some reason. So never mind. You guys put this as low as you want. <laughs> I'll say. Look, it's it's better than Galacta, Daughter of Galactus. That's my floors. Two twenty one out of two fifty. But like you know, getting a paper cut and getting lemon juice on it is better than Galacta, Daughter of Galactus. So. I actually don't hate that ranking. There's a part of me that wants to try to argue for it to go lower. Um, I feel like there are enough good moments in here to keep it up above that. Even if yeah, it's slightly. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think, especially, again, that New Mutants issue, Black Bolt being kind of sweet for half a second in his freaking life. Yeah. Okay. It's mostly inoffensive. It's its main crime is that it is a slog. I will say, like the I, we haven't really talked about the art, and sometimes it's it's like there's never any cool big splash pages. But I think that you know it's all very consistent of the style. There's a couple of them that are like a little bit looser and not as as good. But overall, it's it wasn't terrible art. But yeah, I just 
hadn't mentioned that. These comics are hit and miss when it comes to art. Mm-hmm. That was my takeaway from this. Because mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't really grow go over the uh, creative team because every single one of these books had its own creative team. Yeah, if they drew comics or wrote comics in the eighties, then they are a part of this one. Right, you had you know. The Simonsons, or did you have both of the Simonsons? I think it might have just been Louise Simonson. I think it was just um, Louise. Yeah, you had you know Chris Claremont, you had Jerry Conway, you had Mark Bagley, you had John Byrne in there. I, I think he was on a different. He wasn't on X Men, but he was on something. I don't recall. Um, but yeah, just like wild spread of artists and writers and. I definitely found my preferences when it comes to 80s storytelling, which of these creative teams I preferred and and which I would prefer to pass on. The consistent creative team was the backup uh, stories. Those were all written by Mark Grunewald and Ron Lim were, I think, the consistent creators throughout. Uh, Anyway, uh, back to the ranking yeah, I am actually good with putting this at the new number 221. Aldo? I do not have a strong argument. <laughs> okay. Um, so Aldo's girlfriend Galacta gets bumped down another slot. I Gross. Dislike that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Evolutionary War. Uh, the take on the character High Evolutionary is definitely better in Guardians 3. I, I don't think that's controversial. Yeah. Although that's a completely different character than this one. Like, really, it is. They did manage to get, like, a lot of the, you know... I had forgotten about the planet full of, like, animal people until, um, you know, that was, like, his, his like, closest hench people in the comic. I was like, oh, yeah, they do that in the movie. So. Oh, yeah. Mostly I was um, remembering the awful, awful animal abuse and how much it it, uh, scarred me in the moment. Like, it was just really sad. Did did not love how much of a downer Guardians 3 was. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Yeah. I think the part that really emotionally hurt me a lot was the part where the high evolutionary is telling him, telling Rocket, right, that he figured out the thing and... Because of what he did, he can now create, like, his perfect race, so on and so forth, whatever. And then just, like, belittles him for, like, five minutes about how dumb he is for thinking that he was going to have a place there and blah, blah, blah. Like, just that whole section was just, like, gosh, that, uh, I mean, on top, everything else is also equally bad, if not worse. But for some reason, that part was just so, uh, such an aggressively, like, downer bit just to see like his whole like, all of his expectations just like be shattered right like work hard and you know make him happy and stuff like that you'll be rewarded and then nope boys i really struggled with guardians 3 i wanted to like it and i don't think i can i still like it Ugh. like somehow i still like quite a bit of it but that's mostly because i think for me it was like a rooting for for rocket a character who like i think deserved a lot Deserved, like, his background to be explored, and I'm happy we got that. I'm just bummed out that his background sucks so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, they kind of alluded to yeah. would. Yeah, so, I mean, to be to be fair, though, for alluding at, you know, that it was such a 
you know, tragic, terrible thing that happened to him. I think they really nailed how bad and terrible and tragic it was. Unlike Nick Fury's eyeball, which is stupid. I hate oh, it. Gosh. Yeah, that one was bad. Um, just just so you all know, in case you thought I was a bad person, uh, I skipped Secret Invasion, so don't worry. I'm not secretly a jerk. Um, I just Buddy, yeah. I still haven't seen the the Thor and Doctor Strange movies. Oh I man! I didn't hate Secret Invasion. I also just realized that all of Secret Invasion came out in between us recordings. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It did. Yeah. Didn't it? Yeah. All of it. I yeah. I didn't mind it. I thought the last episode was lackluster. I I think everything leading up to that was actually quite interesting. The reveal on who the scroll was, out of like the quote unquote like main cast was a little lackluster, and then the last episode was also a little like, oh, that's it, okay. But apart from that, I mean, I thought it was decent. <sighs> well, we were just talking about how Guardians Three made us sad, and speaking of sad things, <laughs> uh, recently, sorry, John Romita Senior. I know I forced the <laughs> segue in like the least tasteful way possible. John Romita Sr. passed away recently. We thought that that would make a, or give us, I guess, a a decent excuse to go back and kind of try to evaluate his career the way that we tried to do with uh, Claremont fairly recently. Uh, The intent here is we're going to look at a handful of stories that uh, John Romita Romita Sr. worked on from across his Marvel career. And really, the idea here is to look at his style, his his growth, the way that he changed, and not so much the stories themselves. However, to kind of aid us in this discussion, we're going to look at a handful of stories. We're going to grab some Captain America stories uh, from Captain America Comics number 77. This is a 1941 book that was actually published under the Atlas heading, much like that Black Knight story that we read recently. Then we're going to read a two-part story from Daredevil, uh, numbers 16 and 17. This is kind of a uh, almost a stealth audition for the role of Spider-Man that Romita would be very famous for. We're going to follow that up with uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 42. And we're going to conclude with The Amazing Spider-Man, number 500, which featured a uh, brief story that Romita helped to create. And so, yeah, looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to kind of dip our uh, toes into that sort of water, that sort of analytical water. Nope, that's a bad metaphor. (laughs) It's very hard to do this on the fly. 